My title this morning is simply Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. That's an odd title. But when you read the verse, it says, And then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. My text is the book of the Revelation, chapter 14, verses 6 to 13, displayed behind me in the New King James Version. Amen. Follow with me and pray with me as I look to Psalm 19:14. So, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my salvation. Amen? Amen. You know, a man was talking to a seven-year-old boy, and he asked him what he thought about death. And the little boy said, well, everybody has to die sometime, even if you don't want to. Barring the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, everybody is going to die, whether they want to or not. And the question is not, are you going to die, nor is it, when are you going to die? It's not even, how are you going to die? The question is, where are you going after you die? An Indiana cemetery, I'm told, has a tombstone over 100 years old that bears this epitaph. It reads, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. Well, some unknown person read those words and scratched the reply just below them. And he wrote, To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. I don't know who wrote those words, but it was absolutely correct. The important thing about death is not death itself, but what follows death. The Bible tells us that there are only two ways to die. You can die in the Lord or you can die outside the Lord. You can die saved or you can die lost. You can die as a child of God or you can die as a child of Satan. You can die headed for heaven or you can die headed for hell. You can die a forsaken sinner or you can die a forgiven saint. You cannot determine whether or not you're going to die, and barring suicide, you can't even determine when you're going to die. To die or not is not your choice, but in what status you have a voice. Now, there is a major difference between the death of a sinner and the death of a saint. When the sinner dies, he can expect retribution But when a saint dies, he can expect reward. And Jesus made that plain in Matthew 25, 46, where he stated, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. No one can pardon like God can, but neither can anyone punish like God can. Now you have a choice. You can reject God's pardon, and therefore accept God's punishment? Or you may receive God's pardon and therefore avoid God's punishment. But after you die, 
you will experience either the pardon of God or the punishment of God. And this morning in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle John reveals the stark reality of the tremendous difference between the destiny of the sinner after he dies and the destiny of the saint after he dies. And so first in your outline, consider the tragic death of the sinner. It's some of the most forceful language used in all of the Bible. John describes the fearful fate that awaits the sinner who dies outside of the Lord. And he warns us in unequivocal language that the road of rebellion ends in a dead end to a place called hell. So first consider the curse of hell. And what a picture is painted here of the place called hell. You can almost feel the heat and smell the smoke as you read those terrible words. No amount of effort can mitigate the horrors that are portrayed in this passage of Scripture. Hell is a subject rarely discussed, but when it is, it is either hotly debated or lightly dismissed. All kinds of arguments are given against it, both by laymen and theologians alike, as if denying the concept of hell therefore destroys the reality of hell. You know, the world scoffs at the idea of hell. Men of God who dare to preach truth of the Bible concerning this terrible place are sarcastically labeled hell, fire, and damnation preachers. Even church members squirm in their seats and get a little embarrassed when their pastor begins to preach on hell. And someone has well said, if we had more hell in the pulpits in America, there might be less hell in the land of America. You know, so many educated theologians are no friend of this biblical truth. They scoff at the reality of hell and dismiss it as some kind of a fundamentalist fable. Newsweek magazine labeled hell as the H word, a subject too trite for serious scholarship. Gordon Kaufman, a theologian at Harford, goes so far as to say, I don't think there could be any future for heaven and hell. Well, my response to those who do not believe there is a hell or do not think there is a hell is simply this. God doesn't really care what you think. He is really not interested in your opinion. Opinions may change minds, but they cannot change facts. And the fact is, God's word says there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, and that all who die will spend eternity in one place or the other. And then there are others who say, I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. And my response is, first of all, neither do I. The Bible does not teach that God sends anyone to hell. In fact, God has done everything possible to keep everyone from going to hell. And the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 24, listen, the way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. Now that scripture is very plain. 
The decision as to whether or not you go to heaven or hell is up to you. There are two ways, leading up and one leading down. And God has provided a way of life that leads upward to heaven. But you must choose and take the right way and turn away from hell. The decision is up to you. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Man sends himself. You know, there are many people who believe that you have to work your way into heaven. I believe you have to work your way into hell. See, God has set up so many blockades on the road to hell. For a man to go to hell, he has to ignore the Bible, he has to ignore the cross, he has to ignore the gospel, he has to ignore the church, he has to ignore the Holy Spirit, he has to ignore that soul winner, he has to ignore the preaching of the word of God. Quite frankly, I get amused at those people who want to argue over the reality of hell. It reminds me of two hunters out in the woods who are not very bright. They came upon some tracks while they were out hunting, and they began to argue about what kind of tracks they were. One hunter says, these are lion tracks. And the other hunter says, you're wrong. These are bear tracks. First hunter says, look, I've been hunting for over 30 years. I think I know lion tracks when I see them. These are lion tracks. The other other hunter says, I have lived in these parts all of my life. I have hunted almost as long as you have, and I'm telling you, these are bear tracks. And while they stood there arguing over what kind of tracks they were, the train ran over them. (laughs) Now, you may argue all day over the reality of hell, but I tell you, all the time that you do, the train of God's judgment is bearing down on you, and one day it will run over you. It'll carry your soul to hell if you are not saved. And if you do not believe in hell, I can assure you that you will three seconds after you die. Someone has defined hell as truth that is seen too late. I do not believe a man is fit to preach or teach the word of God who does not believe in hell. In fact, if you think about it, if there is no hell, preachers and teachers and theological professors really are not needed. I wish I could say there is no hell, but if I did, I would be a liar. I wish I could skip over every passage concerning hell and never preach it, but then I would be a coward. I wish I could tell you that everybody is going to heaven and no one is going to hell, but if I did, I would be a hypocrite. Listen, the fact of the matter is, if we are going to prepare people for a place called heaven, we must preach about the place called hell. Generations ago, there was a great preacher by the name of DeWitt Talmage. This great preacher once said, I do not think I ever would have started for heaven had I not been made to realize I was headed for hell. We must do it lovingly and with a broken heart sometimes, but we have been called by Almighty God to warn a lost world of the curse of hell. Second thing to consider, 
the cause of hell. Why are these people cast into this horrible place? Why are they forever doomed and damned to spend eternity in this place called hell? Well, apparently there is one main reason, but here I'll give you two. The first reason is the mark they receive. These future inmates of the prison called hell are the ones who, verse 9 says, worship the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. Everyone who takes the mark of the beast will sign his eternal death warrant. All who follow the false prophet and worship the devil will spend eternity in the lake of fire. But that is not the primary reason why they are condemned to hell. The fact that they receive the mark of the beast is a symptom of a far greater problem. The reason they are consigned to hell is because of the message they rejected. Before anyone takes the mark of the beast, he's given fair warning. Our text, verse 6, states, And then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, with a cloud for his platform and a star for his pulpit. An angel proclaims the everlasting gospel to the entire earth. And this fulfills the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 14, where he stated, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now the end that Jesus was referring to here was the end of the great tribulation. And in those dark days, God is going to send an angel who will come and preach the gospel to the entire earth, giving one last clarion call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel is not primarily a gospel, a message of salvation, but primarily a message of judgment. This message will be a warning of the impending judgment that is coming against the Antichrist and all who follow him. It is God's last warning to a wicked and rebellious world that the hour of judgment has come. This message is not primarily a message of grace, but rather a message of grief. Now this message is found in our text, verse 7. And it is given in three parts. There is first of all a message of conviction. Fear God. In other words, this angel is saying, don't fear the dragon or the beast or the false prophet, for they can only kill your body. But fear God, who can kill both body and soul. And second, it is a message of conversion. The angel says, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. The chief end of man is to worship God and to glorify him forever. Third, it is a message of consecration. The angel declares, Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. See, there is an appeal to the world to worship the creator, not the creation. To worship the right God in the right way. And so this issue is crystal clear. The beast is saying, worship me. God is saying, worship me. Or be damned. But the world does not listen. 
It rejects the message and receives the mark. Now this teaches us a great lesson. Man does not go to hell for what he does, but for what he does not do. The world thinks that if people do go to hell, it's because they murder, they lie, they steal, they rape, they cheat. But Jesus died for those sins. The only sin that will send a man to hell is the sin of refusing to accept the gospel message and therefore the gospel master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, consider the course of hell. We are told that hell is a place of unending despair. Verse 10 tells us, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It is inexcusable to go to hell, but it is inescapable once you get there. You know, Dante was right when he wrote in the Divine Comedy, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Now many ask the question, do you believe the fire and brimstone are real? Well, quite honestly, I believe this fact is repeated too many times in Scripture not to be. In Revelation 19.20, we are told that the beast and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. In Revelation 20.10, we are told that the devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. In Revelation 20.15, we are told that sinners were cast into the lake of fire. And of course, we all know that old saying, where there is smoke, there is fire. And of course, we read in verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And it is a place of unending darkness. Jesus referring to hell said in Matthew 8.12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2.4 that the rebellious angels who fell from heaven have been delivered into chains of darkness. Jude said in his book, verse 13, that false prophets are reserved for the blackness of darkness forever. Have you ever been in a deep cave, such as the Mammoth Cave in Kentucky? That go deep, deep down into the bowels of the earth and then have the lights turned out and be immersed in absolute, total darkness. Such is going to be the place of hell forever and ever. When you're down in that cave, they will tell you, after a certain point of time, total blackness will drive you insane. I was reading about the death of that famous infidel, Thomas Paine. Do you remember him from your history books? His whole life was an unending fountain of blasphemy against God. Late in life, he was deathly ill in the hospital. He said to a nurse with the sun at high noon at the room as bright as day, he said, nurse, 
would you please light some candles and lighten up this room? The nurse said, but Mr. Payne, the sun is up. The room is as bright as can be. Thomas Payne said, nurse, it can't be. It's dark in here, and it's getting darker. It's getting darker. Then with his last words, he said, oh, my God, how dark. And he died. Jesus said in John 3, 19, this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. One day, God will give men what they have always loved, eternal darkness. It is the place of unending death. Our text, verse 11, states, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, death is not annihilation. In the Bible, death is separation. Death is separation of the soul from the body. That is what the Bible calls the first death. But there is also the second death. This is described in Revelation 20.14, which states, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The second death is the separation of the soul from God. This is the real essence of hell, not the fire, not the brimstone, not the smoke, not the torment, but total, complete, eternal separation from God. And Paul, speaking in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 tonight, said this, And to give you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and all those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Don't we hear people trying to lessen the essence of hell by comparing it to the things of earth? Someone will say, well, I have my hell on earth. There's no such thing. I tell you, hell will make the Holocaust look like a Sunday school picnic. General William Sherman said, war is hell. That's wrong. Hell is hell. It is a place of no rest, no release, and no refreshment, rejuvenation. But now, consider number two, the triumph death of the saint. Our text, verse 12, states, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So now we turn from the sinner to the saint. These are the ones marked by faith in the Lord. These are the ones who trust and obey, and they keep the faith of Jesus. John pronounces a benediction over everyone who dies in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text, verse 13 again. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. I want you to notice what these precious saints receive once they die. First, the rest they desire. Verse 13 states, Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Now to understand the meaning of this verse and this statement, 
you must understand two words, the word rest and the word labors. Rest here does not mean doing nothing. It does not mean to cease all activity. Some people think that when you get to heaven, that you're going to spend an eternity lying on a clouds, eating bonbons and grapes, playing a harp while an angel fans you all day long. I want to tell you, that is not heaven. That is boredom. The, rest, the word rest here literally means refreshment. It means rejuvenation. It is a word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 6.18 when he said, For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The same word is used in Philemon, verse 20, when Paul said, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. See, literally this verb should be translated, be refreshed. Heaven is going to be a place of activity when we're going to serve God and work for God and worship God and labor for God forever and ever. Now, the word labor does not refer here to an act of work, but rather to the weariness that comes from the work. I enjoy what I do so very much. I'm so grateful that God has called me to labor in his vineyard, but I have to be honest. I never get tired of the work, but I do often get tired in the work. And when we get to heaven, we will never get tired in the work. How exciting is that going to be to know that there is a place where we will serve the Lord for all eternity and never get tired? And second, consider the reward they deserve. Verse 13, and their works follow them. That is simply referring to the reward God has for all of his children who have faithfully served him on this earth. And Jesus closes out this great book by saying in Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. I want to tell you something. I have learned three things about the Christian life. First of all, I have learned that it costs to serve Jesus. Second, I have learned it pays to serve Jesus. And third, I have learned that the pay far outweighs the cost. You know, I've got to tell you, death is dread for the sinner, but delight for the saint. How exciting is it going to be to die in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, it can be frightening a frightening thing to, to look behind a door when you do not know what is on the other side. But no child of God ever has to fear a look behind death's door because of what you'll find. Because you'll find Jesus. Amen? Service is over. If at the end of this sermon you are left with the lasting impression that it was about death, heaven, or hell, you have missed the point. The point is we are to seek, submit, and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ while we are alive. Matthew 7.21 says, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, will, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of the Father. The will of the Father is for you to have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. And my question to you is, do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know each other? I'll see you next week. Amen.